I want Steve to come up here. I want to honor Steve this morning because just because a story is familiar to me doesn't mean it's familiar to this body of believers. In 2000, I co-founded a ministry called Wayfair with a friend of mine and our two wives, and we moved from Birmingham, Alabama to Spartanburg, Greenville area. And I came on a scouting trip in 2000, 18 years ago. That's crazy because I yes. remember it like it was yesterday. And we went to play golf. Me and Dave went to play golf. And we went to the number 10 tee box, which was the first tee box that day. And you happened to be on number 10 tee box. I'd never heard of you. With Jim Stevenson, you were playing golf. I don't know if you know this story. So the first people we meet on the scouting trip is a guy that looks just like Michael Douglas in the movies is what I said. Uh, I was like, whoa, Michael Douglas is here. And, and boy, I had no idea that 18 years later, we I'd be introducing you as a, a father in this house. And Well, we, we joined that church, my wife and I did, and the other couple did, Dave and Kim Rhodes, and we joined Crossroads Community Church. Yep. And from 2000 to 2006, I would say that Crossroads was, was a church that had a spirit-filled worship, and it, and it felt like just a, a solid community church that was a great first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people just to become comfortable with God, and we loved it. Yeah. But in 2006, he knocked on the door, <laughs> and the father said, uh, Steve and Becky, we're, we're going to take it from just being a place where people can be comfortable with me, and I'm going to get you to lead out a culture that's open to Holy Spirit, yes. signs, wonders, healings, miracles. And, and boy, that went over well. Not um, so much. <laughs> we uh, lost about around 42 families yes. in 2006. Yeah. And when it looked like everything was falling apart... <laughs> Steve asked me to preach at a healing service, and I said, I don't have a white suit and a jet. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> and God opened uh, a, blind, a lady that was legally blind, opened her eyes, and, right. and here we are 12 years later. Right. Uh, I really believe this. I'm, this isn't, I'm not just saying this. Without Steve and Becky's obedience, you would not be in this room. So I want you to stand up and honor Steve Keys with me this morning. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. You may be seated. That's so kind. Uh, the next few days will be kind of rough on me. I've got anniversary, Christmas, and my wife's birthday within the same week. So pray for me. Very difficult. Okay. Okay, here we go. Let's get going on this subject of joy. There's a biography about Walt Disney. You see him here on the screen. This is Walt. Well... There he is. Okay. Well, he's the man who imagined Mickey Mouse and who built Disneyland. You know the story of Disney World and all that stuff. In this book, this is a true story. It's about his daughter who didn't know there was anything special about her dad. All she knew was he was her dad, just like everybody else had dads at school and stuff like this. That's all she knew at all. But then one day, when she was six years old in the first grade, some kids came up to her and told her the truth of who he was. She came home that day. He was sitting in a chair, hands on her hips, looked at him and said, You're the Walt Disney? (laughs) She found out that the man she loved so much and knew so well wasn't just any man. He was the man who created Disneyland. And then she rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Ah, free admission for the rest of my life into all the theme parks all over the world. It's a pretty cool story, isn't it? came across a collection of letters that children wrote to Santa Claus. Here was my two of my favorites. One said, 
Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live at our house. There's Jeffrey, he is two. There's David, he is four. And there's Norman, he is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. That's a great letter. Here's my other favorite. Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. Signed, Alfred. So, now when I was a kid, I remember this well. Uh, at that time, some of you have a hard time, young people over here, there was no Amazon Prime when I was a kid. There was no Walmart. Can't even believe that. You really lived a long time ago, you're thinking like this. There was no QVC, there was no Home Shopping Network. Everything you got, you ever went to a store and bought yourself, or one thing came in the mail that every kid loved like crazy, and it came from a company called... Sears, and it was the wish book. You'd take that catalog, I would, and I'd flip to the back where the 30 pages of toys were, and I'd start circling stuff I wanted. I'd make sure my grand... I was an only child for many years. So my grand... I had two sets of grandparents and aunts and uncles, so I showed them what I was going to expecting from them and from them and them, and then I would get all these presents just for me. One kid sitting in a room of adults opening all these presents. It was like heaven on earth. Nowadays, I have 11 grandkids. It's utter chaos when we're together. <laughs> Stuff's flying and pre- paper, papers everywhere. It's, it's very different today. But as a kid, I believe joy in my life was really tied to receiving a special toy I wanted for Christmas. And that toy was called this. It was called electric football. How many of you guys had that? Let me see. Look at these guys that had that game. For some of you, so the, what this is, I mean, this isn't, you know, Madden Super Bowl or anything on PlayStation. This is like old school. Here's what the truth about this. It was a vibration-powered sheet of metal with a motor underneath it that began to shake. And you'd line up these little players like this in formation and expect it to look like a real football game. Now, any similarity between that and a real football game is purely coincidental. I mean, seriously, because it was nothing like it at all. This was what a real game would look like if all the players had ingested massive amounts of LSD and cocaine. (laughs) Some would go around in circles as soon as you turned it on like this. They would just move in place. Other people, this is the goal line. Other people would turn and go backwards, you know, like this. And these little things would vibrate like this. Some would fall over and just shake like at a Holy Ghost revival, I guess or something. They would just shake. Tons of fun, right? But then the quarterback, the quarterback was great. He had his arm out like this and a little thing here with a little spring-loaded thing on his arm. You put a little felt piece of felt in his hand and you'd pull it back and shoot it and hope to hit somebody else, which was one chance of about a thousand, you could hit the other person down the field. But that, I thought that was joy. But I have no idea where that game is today, what dump it's in, what happened to it. It broke a long time ago. It did not bring me joy. We tend to equate happiness with joy, like Ben was talking about, and he already stole my thunder when he said this. But one word, happiness, revolves around what happens to me. It revolves around externally what's going on in the world. If I feel good, if it just tastes good, if I like the person likes me, then I feel happy. There's nothing wrong with happiness at all. But joy is different. Joy is internal, and that's given to you by the Spirit of God. And that comes to you regardless of circumstance, regardless of what's happening around you. And that's the difference in the two. 
If my circumstances aren't favorable, then often I'm unhappy. But that's not true about joy. Now, I've met a lot of people in my life, even when I try to have joy, when I'm around these people, and you've met people like this before too, are like human vacuum cleaners. And they suck the joy right out of your life when you're with them. You're with them five minutes, and all the joy you had is almost gone. Where did it go? They just, ooh, they just sucked it all out. They're down in the dumps. They're always negative. They're not positive at all. They don't care. They're always talking about themselves all the time and how bad it is. And it's ain't it awful. It ain't it awful. And it just sucks all the joy out of you. Just pull their plug. Don't be around people like that. Say, well, I've got to go now. Thank you for sharing. I've got other places to go and other people to meet. Don't let people do that. Howard Hendricks, one of my favorite teachers and professors at Dallas Theological Seminary, said, don't let Christians rob you of your joy in Christ. So when you're around those people, find new friends. A few years ago at the Super Bowl, the halftime entertainment was done by Madonna. This year, it's going to be done by Maroon 5. And that year, it was Madonna. And somebody was interviewing her and asked this question to her. Are you a happy person? Here's what she said. I'm a tormented person. And I'm wrestling a lot of demons. But I want to be happy. I have moments of happiness, and I'm working towards knowing myself, and I assume that will bring me happiness. Madonna, eh, you're wrong. That's not going to bring you what you're looking for. When you consider that happiness seems to be the main goal, the Bible doesn't even talk much about happiness. You can see a couple of times when it mentions the word, but the, the, the word often talks about something that's a deeper meaning, and that is the word joy. Joy throbs through the scriptures. It's something that's a profound, compelling quality of your life. I was talking last night at our senior Christmas party. I thought it was cool that today, even on the bulletin, it's advertised we're still having the senior Christmas party, and it was last night. But don't pay any attention to your bulletin today. It's over. Don't come any other day. It's still advertised, but it's it's over and done. But one of our widows... Delia Pellegrino gave me this. She says, this has been a year when I lost my husband, and it's been a tough year, but this has also been a year when God said, this is going to be a year of joy for you. And I thought, wow, in the midst of that, you can have joy? And here's what she said it means to her. She said, J-O-Y, journeying outside yourself. So what Delia has done is started moving outside of her world, ministering to other people and seeing how other people she could bless and help. And guess what she's discovered as she's been doing that? She's receiving that internal joy bubbling up inside of her rather than languishing in her difficulty and disappointment of what she went through. That's a pretty good word. And I said, I'm going to share that tomorrow if that's okay with you. She said, sure. Now, the Hebrew word joy means to leap or to spin around with pleasure. In the New Testament, it refers to true gladness of a person's heart and celebration. Psalm 1611 says this. You've, known the, make, you've make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I would like to suggest to you, in this beautiful season of the year that we call Christmas, it can be a time of joy no matter how broke you are, no matter how busy you are, No matter what has happened to you during this season, my dad passed away the day before Christmas when I was younger. So no matter what you've gone through during this time of the year, you can be as joyful as you want to be. You can choose it. Love is similar to love. There's emotional element involved in both of these things, but it's more than emotion. It's something you can choose to love, and I can choose to have joy. 
like Delia said, I'm going to do things that cause me to have joy. And it's doing the actions that helps to bring on what's buried deep inside her that's bubbling up. I think that's a beautiful thing when you focus and you look at joy. Now, let's look at some scripture about God's people. We're going to look at a scripture here in just a minute. But God's people had been hanging on to hope for hundreds and thousands of years. When you read the Old Testament, you read the story of this, is they were looking forward to this Messiah to one day come. The prophets would speak about him. And we're going to look at Psalm 126. But before we do that, we need to take a really quick history lesson. Okay, we're not going to look at it yet. You can take it off. You. I'm not going to look at it yet. Don't look. Okay, good. We're going to do a quick history lesson to understand the meaning of what was going on. Israel suffered three major times of exile or removal from their land or under slavery until the time that Jesus came. It was a time period of about 400 years. And during that 400 years, these massive wars took place and these exiles took place. Here's how the nation of Israel was during that time. It was during the time of the kings. You read the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, when they had this nation formed called Israel. Now they had kings. The nation in the north was called Israel. The nation in the south was called Judah. A couple of tribes were in the north, and then a couple of some of the rest of the tribes were settled in the south and called Judah. So you had the mix of the tribes, north and the south. The north was attacked by the Assyrians because they were both so disobedient, and they had no good kings in the, in the northern empire. They had some good kings in the Judah empire, in the Judah area. Because they had no good kings, they were judged first by God. And when he judged them, the Assyrians came in, and they absolutely wiped out the nation of Israel. A few people still lived. They wandered. They went other places. But for the most part, that nation was destroyed and judged, and that took place, and it ended about 722 B.C. Now, the second exile was going to take place with the nation of Judah. Different strategy. Babylonians were going to attack the nation of Judah. They were going to have a different strategy than the Assyrians. They were going to capture and take back to Babylonia with them the best, the brightest, the wealthiest, the ones with talent, the ones with skill. They were going to leave the riffraff, the people who were poor and destitute. They were going to leave them there, but they're going to go back with the others and try to inculcate them into Babylonian culture. So that's what's going on in the second thing that happened under King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, they were going to be in captive. The Bible prophesied they were going to be there 70 years. And after 70 years, the Bible says, you're going to be able to return back to the land. There were three people that returned. Nehemiah came to build the walls. Ezra came to bring the people. And so you see these different returns. Rebel came to build the temple. You see these returns take place after the 70 years. And most people believe that scholars believe that this Psalm 126 was written by Ezra. He was a prophet, and they believe he wrote this when they arrived back in the land. So they've been gone 70 years. The walls have been built by Nehemiah, and so here comes comes Ezra in bringing the people. And so when he comes in bringing the people, here's what he would have written, Psalm 126. Now we'll put it up. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. You know what we call that? Testimony. Other people are seeing what's happening. That These people are going to be moved back to this land, and it's God's providence doing this. And they said the Lord has done great things for them. That's a testimony. And then it says this. It goes on. The Lord has done great things for us. In other words, they believe what they were hearing people say about them. And they're saying, hey, the Lord's done, you're right. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with what? Joy. Wow, we're getting to go home. 
We're getting to go back to the land God gave us, to our forefathers. This is an amazing time for us. That's why they were so exciting. Now, hold on to that just a second, that verse. The power of testimony is amazing. We're taking a group of people from our church in about five weeks to Israel. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, the three of you that are going here on the left. Uh, but 60 of us are going from our church, some of our seniors and some of the other people in our church. And some people don't even know us, but have been seeing our podcast and seeing Chad and gotten associated with him. I don't even know who they are. They're going to meet us over there. We've got a group of 60 people going. But when we had our first meeting, everything went, looked like it was going well. But since that time, about six pilgrims have had to drop out. Do you think Satan wants you to be in the land of Israel? To strengthen your faith and see the places and the stories of the Bible? you think he wants you to be there? Absolutely not. He'll try to do everything he can to stop you from going if you're signed up and wanting to go. Six people had to drop out. Couldn't do it. Couldn't afford. Five new pilgrims took their place. So all of a sudden, now we got a full group of about 60 again. But one thing happened that was very, very difficult. One of our single moms, and I talked to her beforehand. She said, you can certainly share this story with the congregation. Her name is Cynthia Owens. She wanted to bring her daughter on the trip and have a mother-daughter trip to Israel. It looked like it was fun. They were signed up. They made their deposits. And then she came to me a couple of weeks later and said this. My ex-husband won't sign to have her passport approved. And she won't be able to go. And it just broke her heart. They're both crying on my shoulder right out here in the lobby telling me that we're probably not going to be able to go. It doesn't look like it's going to be happening. I said, look, 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 look. Do we have a God in heaven? Yes, we do. Do you think he wants you to go? Yeah, I thought he did. I really think he wanted us to go. Well, let's just pray that God will change that guy's heart. So we prayed there. And then the next morning, I'm usually not in the office much because I have another job. I'm the company pastor at an appliance store here in our city and work part-time here at the church. But I was here for a creative meeting about some, a series that we were doing. I think it was in the Advent series even. And so I was in this creative meeting, and I just heard this about Cynthia and her daughter. And I just felt led to say, before we start, could, Wendy, Wendy, could you just pray that she and her daughter could make an appeal to this man and God could work on his heart? I just thought of the story of Esther going before the king and making an appeal and seeing his heart change about protecting the Jewish people from extinction. And I said, would you just pray? And I mean, Wendy went, opened the courts of heaven. She stood up, and she was declaring that this girl is going to get to go because she's your child, and she's already paid this money, and we're going to get to be in the land together, and I want her to be there, and I believe you want her to be there, Father. And she, just lit. she was just going after it. A week later, Cynthia called and said, he changed his mind. We're going. And I said, wow. So that was a great story. Another story that looks kind of difficult. Where's Wanda Forster? Where's Wanda? Stand up, Wanda. Wanda broke her foot. She's going to Israel, too. She's got a boot on her foot right now. Did you break your bones in your foot? Fractured her ankle. Uh, Wendy, I want you to stand up right now and just point to Wanda. And I want everybody to extend your hands toward Wanda. And we're going to pray this foot will be healed in five weeks and Wanda will be on that bus with us. Okay, Wendy, you pray for Wanda. You bet you can go back there. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to pray that foot would be healed in the name of Jesus with 800 people here today, Wanda. Okay, go, Wendy. You betcha. Yes. 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 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. We agree with that, Wanda. That's way cool. Testimony. The power of a testimony. I love that. Okay, let's finish this psalm. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like strings in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. Also, the prophet Isaiah wrote this about joy, too, and he was prophesying about what would happen when one day this Messiah would come. Look what he says in in, 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 uh, chapter 1, verses, he says this. He says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. He's talking about the future Messiah that would come and bring light to a dark nation, to a dark people. And he goes on. That's a, I think that's an amazing statement here. Was there, was there more? Was that all? I think that was it. Okay. The human condition described here is this. We walk in darkness. Apart from God... Apart from his goodness, apart from his friendship, apart from his presence. And darkness is spoken in the Bible over 200 times. And it's a picture of what life looks like when you don't have God in your life. I know many people, I play golf with a man a lot that doesn't know God. And he's living in darkness. He doesn't realize it. We're gentle with him. We're kind with him. We pray for him. We encourage him. But he does not yet know God. When you don't know God, you're living in spiritual darkness. Apart from God and apart from his direction, apart from his wisdom, apart from his love and apart from his care. And that's what a person is. When we have important decisions to make, we don't know what to do. When that's true, you're living in darkness. We're foolish. We become ignorant. We become confused. We blunder around and we hurt people. You know that Christians hurt a lot of other Christians. That's because we're in darkness. We become afraid. We lose our joy. We say, where'd it go? But when we realize when Christ comes back into our hearts and lives, that the light changes, everything happens, and the darkness has to flee. That's what happens and goes on. Isaiah 35 says this in verse 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. In other words, Messiah will come. And a clear evidence of conversion is always adoration to God. A true evidence of your conversion. Do you adore God? Do you sing praises to him? Do you have a conversation with him? Do you hear his voice? Do you speak to him? If you do that on an ongoing basis, day by day by day, over time, your friendship will deepen with him. That's what we're all about in this church is seeing you become a deep friend of God. And that will happen over time that you do this. And I hope that you will. Someone once observed this, that many of us worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. We just get it all confused. But when you worship God with your true heart and passion... A person that's genuinely converted will want to praise God, will want to adore God. I was listening to songs on the radio when I was coming this morning about 8.30. And there were two songs that talked about adoring God. And I love the song by Chris Tomlin called Adore. And they were playing that. And I just cranked it up in the car. Becky wasn't with me coming with some of our guests that are here today that are friends. So I can make it go as loud as I want it when she's not in my car. I'm driving down the road singing at the top of my lungs, adore, I'll adore you, Jesus. 
Why? I can. That's why. I can do it. You can too. It's no big deal. I'm not a great singer. I'm not a praise singer up here, jumping around, little leather pants and singing and stuff like that. You know, I, I, I'm not that. I don't do that. But I can crank it up in the, sh- in the car, sing in the shower, or sing when I'm alone. Just praise God, adore Him. In the Christmas season, that's what happened when these shepherds, these nobodies that nobody would even care about, way outside the city limits were out there. That's where the angel came to the broken. This is amazing to me of what took place. And here's what happened in the story. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 10. There were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. What was the great news? That Jesus was going to be born. He was coming down to a world of sadness. Who had always before been up high, like on the mountain. They were scared. There was lightning. There was thunder. They were terrified of him up high. Now he was going to leave from up high and going to come down and be among us. And that's an amazing story. Let me tell you one of my favorite stories I've ever heard as we kind of get ready to wind this all up. Years ago on PBS, there was a series on called Upstairs, Downstairs. It was the stories of rich people, aristocrats, masters who lived upstairs. And then downstairs, you had the workers, you had the servants. It's kind of like our modern version today of a Downton Abbey kind of a, kind of a look. Upstairs, people don't often become friends with downstairs people. It doesn't work like that. Oh, they're polite to each other and civil most of the time, but they're definitely not friends, no way. So that's going on. There was a man named Lewis Smeads. Lewis Smeads was a seminary professor and author. I love some of the things this man has written. He died a few years ago on Christmas Day, which is fascinating to me. But he wrote a book and told this story, and I love it, and I've never forgotten this story. Lou was a young grad student over in England, and he was studying in Oxford, and his wife, he and his wife Doris, say, stayed in this home of a cockney woman who was named Mrs. Harris. She and her husband had been servants to Oxford gentlemen for over 50 years. So she was downstairs, and they were upstairs. Uh, Lou tried to really want to become her friend. So what did he do? Uh, He tried to do things for her. He would shovel coal for her. He would clean her fireplace out. He would try to make tea. He'd slip down to the kitchen and start making tea. But if she ever saw him, she would just be in a tizzy. She'd come down and say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. I make the tea. I make the tea. I'm the servant. She would have none of it. He was a gentleman. Gentleman lived upstairs. She lived downstairs. She was flattered but not interested. Lou tried to explain to her one time when he was sitting down talking to her and said, Mrs. Harris, I'm not a gentleman. I'm an American. (laughs) She said, I don't care who you are. Over here, you are a gentleman, and you live upstairs, and we just can't do things together. And she never did change her mind. Why? Because in her mind, he belonged upstairs, she belonged downstairs. Do you know I meet a lot of Christian people that really believe that God's still up there somewhere, and he really doesn't have anything much time for you or care for you who are broken and troubled and going through the things that you've gone through in your life because you're down here, 
and many people live that way. It's a sad way to live life because at Christmas, Jesus came down here to live like we are. He came with us down to the basement. And now let's let him transform us into people of joy. So that drawing people to Christ now is by the joy that was in us. So people look at us and say, what do you have and how do I get it? If you have the joy of Christ, perhaps that's the way your life should radiate the light of him everywhere you go. You can do this. John 15, 10 through 11 says this. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed the Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Where's the joy of Jesus? In you. How can it be complete? Like Delia, when you learn to give it away and share it with others around you. It's internal and then you share what you have. You can't give away what you don't have. Whatever you have, you can give. And so to ask God to give you a constant supply of his joy, there are two kinds of people in the room today. The people who generally choose joy, and they're the people who generally do not. I mean, that's, that's the truth. The people who choose joy don't worry about their circumstances. They don't worry about their problems. They don't worry about that. It's an attitude that comes from confidence in God. God. And God is this way toward us. God produces joy toward us. And when he produces joy, then we receive it and we process it. And then we turn and we release it and give it away to others. That's how it works. Recognize God is joyful. Many people really believe God is like a taskmaster in heaven with a bullwhip. Anytime you mess up, just a wham and whack you with it. How about doing like this, remembering that maybe God smiles over me. Maybe he really does love me. Like Bill Johnson says, maybe he's in a good mood today. <laughs> I love that statement. Yeah, the truth is he is. You say, how do you know that? Well, I'll show you. Zephaniah 3.17. We're going to read this together out loud. We're reading a lot of stuff out loud, so I'm going to have my way with it too. So here we go. Ready? Out loud. Ready? The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Does that look like a taskmaster? That's how God views you. This is amazing. He's our mighty warrior, conquering sin and death, mighty to save us, but at the very same time, gentle to still comfort us and love us. The last phrase says he rejoices over his children, and that's you and me. He sings over us. So when I sung my song back to him today, I believe he was singing another song over my life today before I got up here to teach. He's singing over me. Our God is a God of joy. One more verse we'll read together, then we'll wind this up. Psalm 28, 7. Here we go. Together, let's read it. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I will praise him. Next time you're somewhere, just jump up in the air and realize that this is how God feels about you. That's the truth. As we leave in just a few minutes, we're going to have the, a few folks that are prayer servants here that can pray with you. If you're saying, you already came forward, and Chad already gave the, the invitation, which was wonderful if you had a lack of joy. But if there's anything else you need prayer about, 
We're a praying church. We take prayer seriously here. And if we can pray with you about any need that you have, maybe it's somebody at Christmas you're going to spend time with. It's, you're already a little bit dis, you know, sad about or disappointed how this is going to go. Whatever it is, if you need some prayer, you can just come right down here and we will pray over you. So let's go ahead and stand up. And I'd like to extend a blessing to you. And we'll do that. And just to open your hands to me like this, and I'll pray a blessing over you. And then we'll turn this over to Chad here. Okay, ready? Uh, this week, I want you to remember the birth and the presence of God this week in the manger of your mind. Allow yourself to drink deeply into the sights, the sounds, the smells of Christmas. May all of them remind you of the great joy of Jesus and rejoice that he is your king today and forever. Make yourself present this week to the one that's always present with us. Offer up to him all that you are, all that you have, all of your hopes, dreams, and fears. So I want you to go today with joy in the name of Jesus, that the name that is above every name, the precious name of Jesus, Merry Christmas. Let's give Steve a hand this morning. That was incredible. Thank you, buddy.